0: On the show today, we want to discuss Deion Sanders and the state of American Christianity. We will then discuss preaching from the angle of what's needed and end with another neat biblical archaeological find. And just as a heads up, we are planning on discussing the second Republican debate next week. So no time for that today. We have a great show, so let's get to it.
1: Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. It's my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we're grateful that you're joining us today. If you're new here, don't let the name fool you. We are quite religious. We're very Christian folks, but it's more the world and especially this nation that is becoming increasingly secular, uh, increasingly religionless, you could say. Uh, So that in part is where the name comes from. But we're going to do What we try to do every Saturday, and that is, you know, just look at the news from the world around us and try to make sense of it from a Christian perspective. That's the plan. And that's what we're going to try to do today. And um, as Nikki mentioned, um, just a little bit of foreshadowing there. We will, you know, depending on what the world throws at us next week, we will try and discuss the Republican presidential debate Um, I'd like to have a little more time to digest all that vile filth before we actually (laughs) sit down and discuss it. Uh, so we will try and do that next week. Also, we should have a Bible topic next week. We won't get to one today. Um, but before we get to our discussions here, is there anything you'd like to say? Any prayer requests? Any praise reports?
0: Oh, yeah. You can pray for our daughter, her, her little piggy she's had for seven years. Uh, it's a guinea pig. <laughs> uh, she passed away on Thursday, so it's our third one to go. But it was hers, and it was the first one we ever had. So she was very attached to it. So I know it's just a guinea pig. It's not like losing a dog, but far you love... more
1: important than the dog. That's, the dog that's true. In this <laughs> you family. like
0: guinea pigs better I'll than take dogs.
1: The guinea pig over the dog.
0: Yeah. So Spencer dug a little hole in the yard, which was very hard to find a area that had ground that wasn't rock um so i thank god that we found a spot because we didn't know we were gonna do we couldn't dig anywhere but
1: yeah it was tough here (laughs) not easy to dig here in uh new mexico but yeah pray for us cupcake has gone away so that's always tough to lose pets and um one more prayer request i suppose um For those of you that know that I've been here for a while, I'm a student at the Master Seminary, and they are having their upcoming 2024 Shepherds Conference. It's kind of a big deal for the Masters, or for Grace Community Church. Um, That's like the Pastors Conference, and Nikki and I were having a discussion because it's sold out, but because I'm a student, they have some seats reserved, and we're like, should I go? I mean, who knows? You're kind of having that discussion. I got to church on Wednesday who the guy teaching our class is a master's graduate. And I asked him if he was going and he made, you know, mention that, yeah, you know, I've talked and the elders here. They're all going. So we decided that we're all going to go together in a a big group. And I was like, oh man, it'd be awesome to go with you guys. And so we were kind of tossing around and then we get done with church and I walk upstairs and one of the elders, he's like, Spencer, come here. You know, so he grabs me and takes me to his office and he's like, I wanted to give you, you know, all of the books that I got from last year's Shepherds Conference, just for whatever reason, like the same night. And I was like, huh, that's funny. So then I was like, hey, you know, we were discussing, should I go to the the Shepherds Conference? And he's like, you know, talking, yeah, we'll see, you know, the the elders and we'll, you know, discuss kind of just adding you into the group and all that. So uh, it looks like I'm going to go to the Shepherds Conference, which is awesome. I haven't been yet looking forward to that. Cool. Um, maybe going there with the, the leaders from my church, which is even more exciting. So, um, just, I guess, pray for us that so that would be a possibility for me to get out there. I know the Puritans conference when I went last year was wonderful. Um, really enjoyed that. So I'm sure I would enjoy the Shepherds conference mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> um, so that was great. Pray for us there. And, uh, I'll just get this plug out of the way. Now, if you would like us to pray for you, we want to pray for you. Um, You can send us prayers, however you can get them to us, our emails and the show notes and all that. But we've also trying to get started up sort of a community prayer list, and that's on our Patreon site. Um, That's really all you get for being a Patreon if you want to help support the show. And it's not, you know, some 90s televangelist where we promise if you give so much, we'll God will bless you. We don't promise that. God will bless who he blesses. Um, It's just simply a way for you to support the show and us to kind of gather uh, together in prayer. So if you'd like to add a prayer to that list that we would pray over, uh, we'd love to have you do that. So we'll just continue on here with our plugs before we dive into the actual um, stories that we have to discuss here. So the first one I wanted to make mention of here was this news article. Over a 1,000 school districts allow teachers to hide transgender status of students from their guardians, parents group claims. And it says down here, the list, which the group says is not comprehensive, details 1,044 school districts in the United States that have transgender nonconforming policies that openly state the district personnel can or should keep a student's transgender status hidden from parents, the districts total eighteen thousand three hundred thirty-one schools, teaching a whopping ten point seven million students.
0: Is this more? Did it say if it was like high school?
1: junior No, I, I didn't more, read through or... um, all of it. To, I mean, it does eighteen thousand schools. It probably, I guess, covers the gambit here, but. I only wanted to highlight this story as a simple reminder that it might be a good time to start considering homeschooling. (laughs) And uh, if you are considering homeschooling, but you aren't sure of where to start, let us recommend to you Schoolhouse Rocked. The Schoolhouse Rocked podcast is one of the 50 to 60 great Christian podcasts that you can find on the Christian podcast community of which we are a part. So you can go search for Christian podcast community on any podcasting platform you like to listen to podcasts on. And Schoolhouse Rocked will be there. They will be uh, represented on there. Or you can just go to Christian podcast community. I'll have the link down in the show notes. You can find Schoolhouse Rocked individually if you'd like. Go give them a listen and figure out how to get your kids out of, as I've heard it called, Satan's youth ministry. And uh, homeschool them. Hmm. Raise them yourself. So, mm-hmm. and then also, you guys know we love Cardinal contingency solutions. Um, they'll be down in the show notes. If you got missionaries, if you're just traveling overseas, it's dangerous overseas. Or heck, if you're traveling to a far left progressive city in America, those are just as dangerous anymore, it seems. Mm-hmm. So, um, reach out to Cardinal, figure out how to keep yourself, your ministry, your church safe in these dangerous places as you take the gospel forth. Uh, they're the best in the world of what they do. So reach out to them. And then again, if you want to help support the show, we would love for you to support the show. And the easiest way to do that, just drop a like, subscribe, uh, whatever platform, YouTube, Rumble. If your podcasting platform allows you to follow or, or subscribe, that stuff would all be helpful. Leave us a review if you could. That also helps. We're slaves to algorithms here. Um, And then again, I mentioned the Patreon site. If you want to help support the show directly, financially, help make my Shepherds Conference dreams come true, uh, we have affiliate links down in the show notes. Uh, Buy me a coffee, Patreon, different things like that. You can help us that way. It would all be a blessing. But all right, enough of that. Get that out of the way. Let's get into the show. So, um, Deion Sanders to me, uh, seems to be a great represent, a representation, I guess, of American Christianity. And if you're not familiar, you're not tracking who Deion Sanders is, which I'm sure Nikki really had no idea before this episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Deion Sanders here, he was, a, <clears throat> he was a Hall of Fame NFL cornerback, and uh, he played defensive back. He might be the best cornerback in NFL history. And um, during his playing days, you know, he kind of had this, uh, he went by the nickname Primetime. That's what they called him. And, you know, he was very flashy, you know, he was exciting, immensely physically gifted. Uh, but then, even in addition to playing in the NFL, I think for 14 years, He played Major League Baseball for 11 years. I think he even played in a World Series. And I'm actually surprised he played Major League Baseball for 11 years, which is longer than I even thought. And retired in 2001 from baseball, I think 2004 or five from the NFL. You know, he was bigger than life, Deion Sanders. Uh, And again, that was kind of because of, first off, he was immensely talented, great player, but also his you know, flashy, bombastic demeanor on and off the field made him sort of bigger than life. Well, today, Deion Sanders is the head football coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. Um, he's 56 years old now, and everything I said about his personality and his persona during his playing days is exactly who Dion is today. <laughs> uh, not much has changed except for his Christian faith, Really? You know, I'm not sure what type of faith Deion Sanders had during his playing days, um, but today it's not uncommon at all to hear Deion talk about his faith in God, which is wonderful. And over the last two weeks or so, uh, you guys know we've talked about Jason Whitlock on this podcast before. Love his show. Highly recommend you listen to it. His perspective, I think, is unique and important. Um, But he's been talking on his podcast, Fearless, a lot and been focusing a lot on Deion Sanders and he's been focusing on him from an idolatry standpoint, you know, which I think is certainly a valid criticism of Dion. you know, the way that the media and especially his fans seem to be just all in on Dion, supporting him. He can do no wrong no matter what. I think idolatry is certainly um, a good point to focus on. However, you know, what stood out to me about Deion Sanders over these last few weeks or whatever as I've, you know, watched him coach his games, you know, do his press conferences, listen to Jason and his perspectives. Um, it's not so much the idolatry aspect to me, but more so how his Christian faith, I think, again, is a great example of American Christianity. So let's just listen to a few clips here of Deion Sanders discussing his faith.
2: I truly believe with all my heart and soul that God called me to collect.
1: And I had to accept the charges. You accepted the charges. I had to
2: accept the charges. But understanding when you accept those type of charges is going to cost you something. What's it cost you? A lot of sleep. But I can't say I don't love it. I love every darn minute of it.
1: So that's Deion Sanders saying he was called by God to, um, this time it was Jackson State, if you see what he's wearing there. And I mentioned he was a head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, but that's a job that he just moved to this year. You know, I think it was the previous three years. uh, He was the head coach of Jackson State, which is a historically black college or university. They call them HBCUs. So much smaller college. But that was Dion then saying that he was called by God to Jackson State. So let's listen to this next clip.
0: What year was that one?
1: That one, I believe, was a 60 Minutes interview from 2022. So just last year, okay. I believe. So this one, I think, is a 60 Minutes clip from this year. So let's listen to Dion again.
2: This team won one game last season.
1: Mm-hmm. Is that, in a way, a, a point of appeal?
2: God wouldn't relocate me to something that was successful. That don't make sense, do it? He had to find the most disappointing and the most... Uh, difficult task. And this is what it was. And this is what it is. And I love
1: that. So there is uh, one year later, Dion telling you that he was, again, called by God, um, this time for the incredible task of uh, coaching the Colorado Buffaloes.
0: What does he mean that it, the way he was describing it, he's just talking about the team that they weren't?
1: Well, the team, so for those of you that aren't college football fans, the Colorado Buffaloes were, (laughs) they were the worst, they were among the worst uh, college football teams in what's considered the Power Five conferences. So there's five big conferences, uh, and then there's lesser conferences, Colorado being part of the, I believe, Pac-12 still. They were an awful team, woeful team. And that's sort of Dion talking about the, incredibly difficult task of going to one of the worst teams in college football to sort of rebuild them so
0: (laughs) is he saying like god cares about football well i don't think that he
1: would say the the reason he's being sent by god is for football i think his perspective is for changing the lives of these men just the ones on through the team. Football. That's kind of okay. The what you hear from Dion a lot, and so he's helping he's, them spiritually. That's what we're getting into, right? That's what we're kind changing of talking the about. The lives um, of
0: them. So he thinks he's got something from God that will help change their lives. Yeah. So I'm thinking. I'm thinking. So
1: football is just the avenue by which he is they, changing lives and communities and that sort of thing.
0: So they make more
1: money if they're more successful, that's what he means no no no, no. i don't i don't I don't, I don't think he would come outright it. and say that but is that I do think his Christian viewpoint might be more in the line of success is evidence of God's blessing. I would assume I mean, I've never heard him say that, but I would just suspect that, you know, um, but I don't think he would come out and say, "I'm here to help them become more rich because that means god's blessing is on them i think he wants to develop young men teach them you know and i think it the way it sounds i mean it would be admirable right teach them you know responsibility and hard work and Mm -hmm. uplift these you know because he talks about you know the young african-americans and stuff that he's dealing with and you know and if you watch sports vast majority of these kids come from terrible situations i mean they're growing up in poverty, broken homes. I mean, it is truly remarkable with most of these young men that make it into professional sports or college sports. The lives that they live before their, or before that point to get to those points is definitely, it's a worthwhile endeavor to try to change their lives because they come from awful situations. Um, if you ever watched the NFL draft, that's actually one of the cool things to see during the draft is they'll interview a lot of the young athletes that are getting drafted about what their life was like. And almost mm-hmm. all of them are awful situations, broken homes, mm-hmm. you know, so poverty,
0: getting and, into, well, going to college and playing. That's a way out of all that.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. for most of these kids, that's, they're some of the first or few that are in their family line that have ever gone to college and all sorts of different things. So even just getting to college, changes their life and the trajectory of their, essentially their lineage almost, you know, so it is admirable in that sense, but we'll get into Dion and his stance you know, a little bit later, but I just want to play one more clip here from Dion Sanders
2: I'm not lost for words I'm just trying to seize the moment Wow Don't you ever tell me what God ain't Don't you ever tell me His limits. Don't you ever tell me what you're up against and what you can't do. And all the persons in the world, God chose me. For that, I thank you. For that, I love him. For that, I magnify him. For that, I glorify him. For that, I praise him.
1: Yeah, awesome. Uh, Not too often you hear a head football coach stand at a podium and say, "I." glorify, magnify, you know, God. So awesome. Amen. We agree, Dion. I mean,
0: I see that a little differently than you. I mean, glad at least he's bringing up the name of God, but he's painting a picture of God that's not the God, not the true God. He's saying he's worthy to be worshiped because of worldly success. These are the things we, these kinds of things are not what actually glorify God's power. I mean, I'm glad he's up there speaking that he's, he loves God and everything, but God is magnified and glorified through the spiritual work he does in people. Um, I mean, he says, I I don't give as the world gives. These are not the ways that God glorifies
1: himself. So that's one of the things that we don't necessarily know, right? Like we only see Dion when the cameras are on, the lights are bright. So we don't know if he speaks the same way, you know, when he's all alone, when things are difficult. And things have been difficult for Dion. Um, if you watch some of these 60 Minutes interviews, they actually talk about uh, he almost died from blood clots in his legs, I believe. And he's actually had two of his toes amputated. Um, he had a large chunk of his leg removed, um, his lower leg. So if you ever watch him on the sidelines and stuff, he kind of walks with a limp now. When um, did that happen? Just like this year. Um, so. so oh. So to see him standing on a podium praising God, he has faced personal difficulties. But again, right, it's really easy to stand and praise God when you're gaining the world. We don't know what he does or says behind closed doors. So I don't want to harp on him too much. You know, he has a platform and he's using it to glorify God. For whatever that reason is, you can't knock the man there. Well, he's
0: glorifying Um, him here in word, but... Right. Um, Your actions say a lot
1: too, though. And that's far more of what we're going to get into as we kind of roll through this. I just want to point out that he does speak on God, Mm -hmm. you know, and to his credit, right? You know, because that all sounds wonderful, standing at a podium. I don't remember another head coach that I've ever heard give God that type of praise. I mean, you'll hear the obligatory... You know, I just want to say thank you to to Jesus and my family, you know, whatever happens yeah. to be. That's a whole different level there from Dion. So kudos to him. But uh, I also read this article here from, I think it's churchleaders.com. It's the website that spoke to Dion Sanders' supposed spiritual advisor, they call him. And I suppose when you get as famous as Deion Sanders, you no longer have pastors. Uh, You just get your own spiritual advisor. (laughs) So that's something, I guess. But his spiritual advisor is this gentleman named Dr. E. Dewey Smith, who is the pastor of House of Hope Atlanta. And in this article here, quoting from the article, it says, speaking to an Atlanta TV station, uh, Smith said he told Sanders a couple of years ago, God is raising you, I believe, to be a Nehemiah. Hmm. God is calling you to places that seemingly are in ruins to rebuild the city, fortify areas that have been torn down. At his introductory press conference at Colorado, uh, Sanders echoed that idea, saying, When God sends me to a place, he sends me to a place to be a conduit of change.
0: Well, aren't we all supposed to live that way? We're all called to serve others, help others when they're in need. Um, And he might see this as a bigger scale with these young men he's working with. I'm just laughing because so many people do go to those churches and they say, you know, they just take some hero from the Bible and say, this is you. And I was just wondering, has anybody ever used Jesus? (laughs) God is raising up a Jesus here. <laughs> yeah,
1: I see I you mean, as a Rahab. You're like oh, a prostitute. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, sure. You know,
0: people uh, love to hear that though, and they're like, "Yeah, I could be," but like,
1: listen, Frank, oh God, I got to be honest with you. You got a bit of a Judas vibe. You're like, "Come on, man!" Oh my gosh! More but, Nehemiah prophecies out there. Jeez. Um,
0: yeah, we can't read a, a scripture and try to place yeah. ourselves in that hero position, because all the heroes in the Bible are actually pointing to Christ. Um, Christ is the one that rebuilds, um, that tears down strongholds. That's not us, like a Nehemiah, yeah, picture of Christ in the work he does in us. We, we really got, got to see Christ. from the Lord. We can't you see ourselves.
1: <laughs> Uriah, you're a godly man that's going to die an awful death. You're like,
0: yeah, uh, just just be careful. That's just like a warning. We gotta we gotta see Christ. Well, and that's what stood those. out to me
1: when I read that. I was like, it's amazing how many, <clears throat> you know, Nehemiahs God has raised in America, and just seemingly, you know, the last hundred years since the Pentecostal church has kind of taken off in this nation. And if I were a Betting man, uh, I would guess that in a Pentecostal church somewhere in this nation, someone is being prophesied over this weekend that they're called to be Nehemiah. We've got so many Nehemiahs in this country and yet there are still so many walls to build. Uh, but right, you, I read this and it's yikes. <laughs> you hear that. Uh, so now Dion is Nehemiah. And of course, if you guys remember Nehemiah, you're familiar that he went, you know, back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the wall after the exile to Babylon. Of course, you know what happened. After they laid the first row of uh, bricks, Nehemiah bailed on Jerusalem and he fled to Egypt, uh, out to Cairo, the big city, to help Pharaoh, you know, lay more gold in his palace. Uh, No, of course not, right? (laughs) Nehemiah stayed and he finished the job. And more importantly than finishing the wall, he called God's people back to following God's law. That was what Nehemiah, Ezra, what they did. You know, but it's interesting to read this story now and because Dion's in Boulder, Colorado. And um, you would think that rebuilding, and this, I think, at the time when Dewey Smith said this about Dion, he was in Jackson, Mississippi, which would make sense uh, because Jackson, Mississippi, where Dion says he was called to by God the first time, the, the two cities couldn't be more different, Jackson and Boulder. Um, mm. Jackson, a very poor city, has a medium, uh, median household income of roughly $40,000 a year, whereas Boulder, Colorado has a median income of $75,000 a year, much more prosperous city. Jackson, Mississippi is 82% black Boulder, Colorado is 84% white. Uh, I think Boulder, for the population over 25, 76% is college educated. Whereas in Jackson, Mississippi, only 28% of those over 25 are college educated. So drastically different cities, and at least from, and again, this is just a worldly perspective, right, with our eyes, it would seem that if any of those cities need to be rebuilt, like Nehemiah, it would be Jackson, Mississippi, Uh, where Dion had started. You know, if you watch some of these 60 minute interviews, the money and stuff that began to sort of flow into this poor Jackson State University, you know, they were getting a lot of sponsorship from places like Walmart and these big companies. And I have to imagine that now that Dion is gone, that money ain't coming anymore. So uh, Mm -hmm. this article does go on to say in here, Uh, Earlier this year, Deion Sanders told GQ magazine, I'm not living my life to please people. I'm living my life to please the Lord. Pleasing God makes him happy, the coach added, because it leads to peace and serenity and no bad days. So, you know, again, Deion called by God to Jackson State and also called by God from Jackson State to Colorado. Um, so I just want to listen one more time, one more interview here on Deion Sanders' call to Colorado. What did you tell those kids when you left?
2: Um, opportunity. Call. Sooner and later in life, um, there will be opportunity that knocks at your door. And at this juncture in my life, I felt like the opportunity for not only me, but for my kids as well, was tremendous. Not only did we take several kids from that team, Three trainers, maybe 12 to 14 staffers. So we afforded to give people a tremendous opportunity
1: here. So was it called by God? Or was it a better opportunity for Dion and his kids and some staff members? Um, Or is it conveniently God calling him to a better opportunity for him and his kids? You know, again, this kind of struck me as maybe the prosperity type of mindset, right, that uh, I'm successful, so that must be of God kind of a thing. Um, But, you know, Dion, and I have, just make the case, I have no problem with Dion going to Boulder, Colorado. Uh, Jackson, Mississippi is a very poor and dangerous place, and Dion is a wealthy man.
0: How old are his kids? He's 50-some.
1: His son's I don't know Maybe how many kids, kids he right has, but they're college age kids, and that's one of the big stories here because oh, okay. his kids, his son is the star quarterback at Colorado who plays for Dion. And his other son, Shiloh, I think is a cornerback at Colorado. So Shador is the quarterback. He went to Jackson State with Dion and then left Jackson State to go to Colorado as well. So they Shador might be potentially NFL caliber. Um, at quarterback, we'll see how it plays out. Shiloh, I'm not too sure at cornerback, but um, yeah. So, again, was it called by God? Was it better opportunity or was it both?
0: Or you can just say everything that happens to you in life. I mean, it's, if it's good, it's from God. Um, well,
1: sure. That's certainly. He
0: can look an at aspect. it from that way, but a specific calling, um, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, a specific calling. I don't know. Uh, but one of the things Dion talked a lot about, and this is what we were kind of talking about earlier. He talks about uplifting the kids, man, I've got something stuck in my throat. I apologize. Um, so he talks about uplifting the kids and stuff, and he is certainly influencing the kids. Um, I have this next clip we're going to play here. This is Travis Hunter. And Travis Hunter is probably the best recruit that Dion has ever recruited. And he's talking about why Travis Hunter chose an HBCU because Travis Hunter went to Jackson State with Dion, and he chose that over Florida State, which is a far more prestigious school. So let's listen to Travis Hunter. What changed your mind? Uh, Coach Brown, he just let me know how big of an impact I can have on the people. And that's one of the things I want to do. I want to shine a light on on our people and Sean Lando, HBCUs. Our people, you mean? Yeah, African Americans. What he was. Well, would you know, uh, Travis Hunter left Jackson State for Colorado, right along with Coach Prime, as he says, Deion Sanders. You know, but it's interesting in that clip that he said he wants to help uplift African Americans. So, what happened to Travis Hunter, right? Uh, wanting to help these HBCUs like Jackson State helping the African-Americans because Travis Hunter now stars at Colorado. He left Jackson State. So he's, his goal, as Dion was able to pitch him, was to help uplift these poor African-American communities. And mm. now Travis Hunter is the star at one of the whitest and wealthiest cities in the country. <laughs> so did Travis Hunter accomplish his goal of uplifting African-Americans? in his one season that he played at Jackson state or like Dion is this sort of a case of whatever you want, just go ahead and do it and then call it righteous and godly. Yeah. You know, who knows you have to ask Travis, I guess that, and look again, I will say I have no problem with Travis Hunter playing for Colorado or anywhere else. Um, he's probably talented enough to go to the NFL and Colorado's a better place for him to get drafted. Um, but I do have a problem with the negative influence of Dion Sanders, and just wrapping that influence in God. And that's kind of why we're talking about it. You know, these kids looking specifically at Travis Hunter, uh, they want to be Dion, like they want to be what Dion is, or at least represents himself to be. Mm-hmm. And I think they are becoming Dion, quite frankly. And to that end, I think the world needs far less Dion Sanders, uh, and I think looking at the Travis Hunter, you can see a bit of that idolatry. I think that Jason Whitlock has been talking about for the last few weeks, um, just following Dion around, right, being led by Dion. So that's sort of the positive side of Dion. The let's talk about God influencing the kids and these sorts of things. Um. So let's look at the other side of it with Dion. Um, the, you know, exactly how has this godly influence changed Dion? Are, are you the change agent? Are you the ultimate change I, agent? I,
2: I make a difference. I truly make a difference. I make folks nervous, man. I, I get folks moving in their seat. I get folks twirling their thumbs. I get them thinking and second-guessing themselves. You know, have you ever been so clean that you walked in and somebody looked down at you and they looked at themselves, they had to check themselves because you were so clean? I have that effect.
1: That's the vibe you're getting. I have that effect. Yes, Dion, like Moses, the most humble man who's ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's Dion telling you how his prideful, uh, what his, you know, I guess, in his prideful manner, what his effect is on other people. He knows how he affects other people. And uh, let's watch this other clip. Dion, one of the things that he has been doing uh, as of lately with Colorado is bringing in a lot of celebrities to come and talk with his team, which probably a great recruiting tactic for these young kids. And most recently, he's had Lil Wayne come and tour the campus and lead his Colorado Buffaloes out onto the field um, for one of their games. So, yeah, this is Dion Sanders having uh, Lil Wayne, again, lead the team out onto the field. Again, keeping in mind, this is the team that God has called Dion to go, like Nehemiah, to rebuild. Did God uh, tell
0: him to invite Lil Wayne?
1: Yeah, so Dion De- is there, called by God, and he chooses, as the hype man for this team, a perverse rapper a godless rapper, Lil Wayne, to, you know, hype the team up and lead them onto the field to victory for God, I guess. I don't know. Um, Not the choice I would make. Um, But Dion is also in that, you know, same line of inviting celebrities to come and talk to his team. He recently brought in Brittany Renner to speak to his team. Or this, I'm sorry, this was at Jackson State. So this is something he's been doing for a little while. Hmm. So he brought Brittany Renner in to talk to the kids at Jackson State. And if you don't know who Brittany Renner is, she's effectively an Instagram porn star. You know, she is one of those self-proclaimed Instagram models, you know, influ- influencers who essentially just takes her clothes off on Instagram. And that's who Brittany Renner is.
0: So he... Tells these kids he's a Christian, but he brings her on.
1: Yeah. So again, a man called by God to Jackson State at that time brings a porn star in effectively to talk to his team. About what? What was she? I'm sure the young male athletes were fully engaged in her thoughts. That's what they were interested in. I have no doubt.
0: She isn't dressed in a way uh, where you would want the attention being on what you're saying and not on your body
1: well i would assume they had no intention well, to pay right attention to what she was saying at all anyway so um and then just one last clip here from dion to see how his godly influence on his life has changed him
2: we're gonna we're gonna continuously be questioned because we do things that have never been done that's the way our life has presented themselves we do things that have never been done and that makes people uncomfortable when you see a confident black man sitting up here talking his talk, walking his walk, coaching seventy-five percent African Americans in the locker room, that's kind of threatening.
0: So So he has this social justice, Jesus is that's what I'm getting. Sort of the way it seems
1: it. here, right? Cause here's Dion playing the victim card, playing the race card, you know, apparently in Dion's mind football has just become predominantly black, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a sport that just started being dominated by black athletes. And somehow Dion is this groundbreaking black head coach. Uh, no, um, you know, and I, I would assume I'd like to assume we all kind of recognize that victim mentality and race baiting. Those are not godly traits. Those are not godly thought processes that we should be having, Mm-mm. you know. But I guess if you race bait, play the victim card, and as long as you have a gigantic gold cross on like Dion, maybe that's all you need. But—
0: Yeah, the way he lives his life is not um, what Scripture says. I would just—the one that came to mind is First Thessalonians 4 and verse 11— Uh, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one so it's not he's living that flashy life um and not walking properly before outsiders so i wanted to. that's why i said earlier he says things but he's not living his life does not match what he says and you know god says People draw near to me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. And he is the example here.
1: Yeah, I mean, in some respects, it certainly seems that way. And, um, you know, as far as the gaudy appearance and stuff like that. He's helping
0: people maybe get out of poverty, um, giving all these kids hope. But he's, he's also leading them more into the world, that this is how a Christian should behave, is just say, I love God, but then dive into perverseness.
1: Yeah. And, you know, these are just a few clips that we play, but you do see this from the way that his children have grown. You know, Shadur, one of the things, if you watch the football games and stuff, um, they're very heavily into the trash talking. His son, Shadur, very materialistic. You'll see him a lot of times flashing, you know, wildly expensive watches and jewelry and stuff like that, just like Dion. So, You would get the sense very materialistic um, Mm. in those sorts of things. So, you know, there's a lot of clips, you know, that you could play about Dion, um, both positively and negatively. Um, But I don't want to just sit here and make this a Dion clip fest here. Uh, I don't want to belabor that point too much. I hope you get the point of what we're trying to say here.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, And really, the point is bigger than Dion. You know, he's simply the kind of conduit for us to have this discussion. You know, the reason why, you know, it struck me as Dion is a great representation of American Christianity is because Christianity seems to be, at least in today's world, it just simply means whatever America wants it to mean. It just, it never, it doesn't have an actual meaning. It's just whatever you want it to mean. You know, if you want to go to heaven... Well, just go listen to Bethel Christians, close your eyes, and you get to go to heaven. Isn't that awesome? You know, if you want to walk like a first century apostle in their apostolic gifts, well, then that's what you should expect. Tongues, healings, prophecies, you know, you just ask for it, have somebody pray over you, and you're the new Isaiah. You're a new apostle, Paul, just like that. You know, if you want direct revelations from Jesus, like Sarah Young, just ask Jesus and he'll give you a fresh new revelation every single day of your life, right? Christianity, it just, you know, it can also mean just being whoever you are and slapping Jesus on it. And then whatever you do is now sanctified and accepted by God. You know, if you're Deion Sanders and you're prideful, you're arrogant, egotistical, you race bait whenever it suits you. You're materialistic. Just say Jesus. And now you're a Christian role model all of a sudden. Isn't that wonderful? You know, and even moving away from Dion, you know, if you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend out of wedlock, you just have to say, ah, oh, we're married in God's eyes. And now you are. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> you know, if you're gay or trans and you're proud of it, just slap Jesus on it. And now God loves your lifestyle too in America. Isn't that awesome, right? How convenient. That is even Christian now. You can do drugs. You can get drunk. You don't even have to go to church. You don't have to participate in the body of Christ at all. You don't even have to give any of your precious mammon to the Lord, right? You don't have to support the church in any way. American Christianity in many respects has become a do-as-thou-wilt type of religion, and that saying used to be reserved for Satanists.
0: It was <laughs> that's the well.
1: Alistair Crowley, yeah. founder of the Church of Satanist creed. And in many respects, that's what American Christianity has become. Um, just do whatever you want, slap Jesus on it, and now it's holy and righteous. Um, the only thing that you can't really do and still be considered Christian in America is actually be transformed by the Holy Spirit and be sanctified day by day throughout your life to look more like Jesus. If you do that, well now you're just a self-righteous hypocrite. Right? Nobody wants that person. You're a self-righteous <sighs> hypocrite. Yeah. So I just want to highlight two verses here um that I think contradict sort of the Deon Sanders Christianity crowd, the you know, be whoever you are and just slap Jesus on it crowd. So the first one here Uh, Do you want to read this? It's 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11.
0: Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God.
1: You know, normally when we read off that verse or that section of verses there, we tend to focus on the list of sins and we kind of point out what specific sin is um, and, you know, how we should avoid those specific sins and things. But It's verse 11 that I want to focus on today because it starts off and it says, such were some of you. You were the homosexuals, effeminate, thieves, covetous. Such were some of you. Um, You were in that sinful state. But as Paul says, the believer was washed, Mm. sanctified, and justified. So the idea there is you were a person who did those sinful things. But after you are saved, you are no longer that person.
0: That's your testimony that gives glory to God to say, look what he did in my life. He set me free.
1: And that's the evidence also for you and for others to see that God is working in you. Um, Another verse here is Titus chapter 3, verse 5. One of my scriptural meditation verses. It says, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So again, there, we're washed, we're regenerated, we're renewed, you know, so going back to Dion is just kind of the big, you know, conduit, the, you know, representation of American Christianity. Um, And we're just using him again as the foil. I don't want to just single out Dion here and just kind of pile on to Dion, um, he's just kind of the face of the episode, you know, so this could largely be anyone in this camp here, but we should see transformation in Dion, um, you know, from sort of the younger man that he was, the prideful, again, arrogant, egotistical, materialistic man of sort of his godless youth. And we should see that transformation, into something that more resembles Christ. mm mm-hmm. So if you, like Dion, are the exact same person, you know, that you were, if the sins that you're given to are exactly the same as they have always been, that should give you pause that maybe the Holy Spirit has, A, either failed to do his job in sanctifying you, which should terrify us if God can fail in his tasks, Yeah. or... that the spirit is in fact not in you, sanctifying you. So I think those would be the two conclusions that you would have to sort of come to. And again, the whole point of this episode is not to rag on Dion or just to sit here and try to point out all of his flaws. It's to look at us, to look at all of us, Nikki and I included, right? Because Christianity in America, in many respects, has simultaneously become nothing and everything. So you simply just live your life however you want, be whoever you want, slap Jesus on top of it, and there you go. It's Christian, right? But that is not what Christianity is. that is not what the Bible tells us Christianity is. Um so again, we should reject it when we see it. Matthew chapter twenty eight verse nineteen and twenty you guys are familiar with, but this in essence tells us what Christianity is. Do you want to read? Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20.
0: Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you.
1: Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So,
0: yeah, people just bypass the Bible, the whole Bible, and say, I'm going, I'm just hearing the voice of God, and it's, it is, it's It's the voice of Satan, they're following He offers the world, but they say, it's God. That's what Satan does. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He pretends to be God, and he offers the world. And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They follow me. They don't follow a stranger's voice. And a stranger's voice is always going to be leading them into the ways of the world. And that's one way we can discern, is this God? And you hold that up to Scripture, um." It's, it's very plain. It's a very simple answer on how to not be deceived, um, how to discern the voice of God. Um, but yeah, nobody's going to be following Satan and going after the world unless they, you know, profess to be a Satanist. But he's So many are, are deceived into thinking the things Satan offers is what God is offering. Um, these are the only kind of blessings that they think come from God, that it's just worldly success.
1: Um, Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this before. That is a form of blasphemy to dismiss attributes of God. So we, you know, and that's what the modern American Christian, you know, God is love, love your neighbor. That's it. Right. That's all that exists. And you're dismissing all of God's other attributes and, you know, you're dismissing Christ's commands. Like he says, you obey all that I've commanded you, you know, so just kind of tying this into how we normally like to end our main topics here. Why is this important to Christians? Um, It's important to Christians because being a Christian is observing all that Jesus and therefore God um, and therefore the Holy Spirit through the apostles Mm -hmm. have commanded us. We are to obey all that he's commanded us. Mm -hmm. You know, if your Christianity is little more than a large, you know, gaudy gold cross necklace, that's not Christian. Mm -mm. And I would say the same goes for if your Christianity is simply just, you know, well-spoken words on a Sunday morning from a pulpit, that's not Christian either. You know, you think of um, the Carl Lenses of the world, right? (laughs) I'm sure he was a very charismatic speaker from the stage on a Sunday morning and living a life of adultery and immorality and excess off the stage, right? It doesn't matter what you say and do on Sunday mornings from a pulpit. Anybody can put on a show when the lights are bright. It's what you do off the pulpit, right? That matters and kind of shows the evidence of the spirit working in you. You know, Christian, to be a Christian is what Paul taught us in First Corinthians chapter six. It's being washed, it's being sanctified, it's being justified and being made a new creation, and beginning to look more like Jesus every single day. Mm -hmm. So if that's not taking place in your life or anyone's life, we should be concerned for them, just as we should be concerned for ourselves. So, you know, it's not to beat up on somebody, but it's to recognize and be concerned that, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the Spirit has actually made a home in you. Because I don't see the sanctifying work, I don't see the renewed and regenerated life that would be evidence of that. Mm
0: -hmm. And we are the body of Christ, um, and Christ is going to discipline his church or correct. Um, We always correct a child before we discipline them. We give them a chance to correct their mistake, to realize they're wrong, and that's what the body of Christ also does. Um, so you can't say, oh, you can't judge me, but like, yeah, we're all apart. part, we're to care for one another. Christ cares for his own body. So that is our role in the body is to look out for one another because it's our body, um, as a whole. Like if someone's hurting, you're hurting, that's going to affect you. It, it will. We're all, will. We're all, we have to look at each other collectively. Well, it
1: diminishes diminishes our testimony as a whole, as a church, right? Right. Because that's one of the main things that, you know, non-Christians and stuff will say and dislike about the church. They're hypocrites. You know, so many of them are worldly. They don't actually believe what they say they believe, all these sorts of things. And when you live a life like this, where I'm, you know, I'm materialistic, arrogant, or, you know, worse, if you're giving in to some of these other, other sins, then, yeah, you damage the testimony for everybody that comes behind you. So what should we do about it? I think first we should stop claiming someone or something is Christian simply because they say it. You know, just because they say that they are.
0: You're very okay. gullible if you just hear something and believe it and not test it. Just. Yeah. And, it's fine to question. You're not being oh, well, judgmental and
1: being right? If the Bereans can question the Apostle Paul, we right. can question Deon Sanders, right? So and I think in that respect, though, we are all guilty probably of playing a part in that, of kind of simultaneously making Christianity nothing and everything. You know, in America, it seems like today we promise a wide road when, again, Christ told us the road would be narrow. Yeah. So we promised them something Jesus did not teach. You know, a prideful, arrogant, materialistic man is just as sinful and therefore just as worth questioning about his faith as would be a murderous or adulterous man, because those sins are the same. They're listed, you know, right together when we talk about sins. You know, so in our lives, we ought to examine how we're actually adhering to Christ's commands. Not, you know, so how are we adhering to Christ's commands, not, you know, the, Andy Stanley, wide road, sin acceptance type of theology. And how should we pray about it, right? Because Christians should be praying about everything. I think first, let's pray for Dion. You know, we at least Mm -hmm. see some seeds or some semblance of faith there. And I don't know if his faith is real. I'm not trying to sit here and tell you unequivocally, Dion Sanders is not saved. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we should have cause for concern. so, I think at a minimum, right, we should pray for Dion and be concerned that, man, we don't see a lot of that renewing in that new creation. That should give well, us concern and a reason to pray. Scripture
0: says if we um, live righteously, we are going to suffer persecution. Um, I mean, I don't think he's being persecuted anyway, but he's not, he's speaking the right things, but not living it. We need to examine ourselves. Are we. Saying one thing and living another way, are we glorifying God with our actions? Because actions speak louder than words. Everybody, everybody knows that phrase.
1: So Yeah, and that's why I'm saying, like, what you do, you know, the evidence of your Christian faith, for example, is not, well, I'm a pastor, and on Sunday mornings, I can preach a great gospel message. That's an aspect, sure, but a far better representation is maybe you worked a 14-hour day. And you're getting home and you're exhausted and hungry, and all you want is, you know, a hot meal and to sit back and watch Monday night football and relax. But instead you walk into a chaotic home. The kids are freaking out, the wife's upset, dinner's not done. How do you handle that situation? Right. That's a far better representation yeah. of the spirit in you yeah. than, well, I'm showered, got my suit on, and I stepped to the pulpit. You know, a lot of people can do that. And a lot of people can put on a show. Mm. That's not
0: Who are you when you're being tested? And again, with that, right,
1: everyone makes mistakes and sins and slips. So that also isn't a perfect encapsulation. So I'm just saying, you know, we should be concerned. That's the idea, right? When you hear Dion, when the lights are on, things are going well, and I'm praising and magnifying the Lord, that's great. But then when you see the flip side and it's pride and arrogance, race baiting. That should also go, okay, I'm not so sure now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we should pray for Dion, pray that he would look more like Jesus. And then I would say, let us pray for ourselves that, again, God would transform us to look more like his son. Pray for Nikki and I, that we would be transformed to look more like Jesus. Because this world needs less worldly-minded people and more Christ-minded, Christ-like people. So let's pray that that would be us and that would be Dion. So, again, we're not trying to harp unnecessarily on Dion. He's just the face of the discussion. This is a discussion for all of us to have, um, to have eyes of discernment, to not diminish the testimony of Christ by just saying, well, I heard that gay Christian tell me he's Christian, so that's Christian now. Um, No, we have to be willing to defend the faith. So. Um, do you yeah. have any final thoughts here on Dion Sanders, or just the state of American Christianity? This nothing and everything that Christianity's become.
0: Yeah, I was just reading uh, Proverbs thirty, and it's just very. Uh, it's a very good one that went along with this. But to look at our own selves, it is easy to look at someone else and and judge and point it out. But we always have to look at our own heart. You know, beware lest we fall. So. Yeah, Proverbs. Oh, maybe this was 28, not 30. Yeah. Um I mean 30 is good. They're all good, but yeah, I was just reading yesterday. So um yeah, just to reflect on your own heart. Um are we wise in our own eyes? Are we uh stingy, you know, greedy for gain? All those kinds of things, like the intention of the heart in the things that we do. Um it's always good to um Examine our motives for even our, our good works. We so easily can and just want the praise of men. Um, and, then, and then we say, it's glory to God. We can say that, but we're not really giving glory to God if our heart isn't rejoicing in the Lord. Um, we can say empty words all the time. So I think we should definitely take the time to, um, anytime we're really openly criticizing someone, especially like on here. Um, look at our own heart. So it's easy; it's too easy to yeah. point the finger.
1: And again, that's what I would like you to hear from me. I'm not trying to unnecessarily bash Dion, and I'm not even telling you he's not saved. Because in many respects, I like Dion. I mean, as we mentioned, how awesome is it to hear a, someone of his stature stand on a podium and say, I magnify God, I worship him. That's amazing, and I hope that that's true. I'm just concerned, and the concern extends far beyond Dion, just to so much of the state of American Christianity. And, you know, I want us to be what America has always been, you know, um, or what it traditionally was, right? Kind of a place that was a beacon of light for the world, took the, the name of Jesus all across. But, I mean, I don't want us to take a false Jesus and spread false gospels across right. the world. That doesn't do anybody any good. And more than that, I don't want you and I certainly don't want Nikki and I living lives being deceived about our state before God. I mean, everyone right. would probably agree the most terrifying verse in the Bible is Matthew 7, you know, Lord, Lord, didn't we do such and such in your name? And he says, "Depart from me." I never knew you. None of us obviously want to hear that, and we don't want anyone we know to hear that. Workers so
0: of iniquity. To the only have way that we can discussed. do
1: that is to be truthful and honest with people. You know, but this
0: used to be me. Um, and I'm always on guard that it isn't me again. I used to, um, you know, muddy the name of God. I used to say I'm a Christian, but I would do worldly things openly, and. Abuse the grace of God and not use the grace of God to overcome sin. So I used to give God a name that shouldn't be um, a name for him. (laughs) I used to mean a powerless God, a God that saves but doesn't uh, transform outwardly. Because when you live a holy life, that is evidence of the power of God. Having worldly success isn't evidence of the power of God; it is an inner transformation. So, yeah, and that's
1: exactly what Jesus taught. Because this isn't even a new concept in the church today. This was the original concept. I mean, if you remember, you know, uh, the Pharisees, you know, they put on the outward show, and the Jews in that time they assumed that the wealthy and the successful were blessed by God. And therefore, you know, I think I can't think of the verse right now or I'd pull it up. But it's where Jesus, you know, sort of contradicts that claim. And the disciples ask him, well, who then can be saved? You know, they were kind of confounded that, well, if the wealthy and the rich aren't blessed by God, who can actually be saved then? You know, and we have that mindset today. We just discussed recently the false teaching of the prosperity gospel. And we're becoming people who see that. You know, I think it said 72% of churchgoers that were surveyed adhere to some form of the prosperity gospel where if you're walking right with God, you will be prosperous and successful. That is not the case. And that, you know, that's the whole Sermon on the Mount is we don't look like the, the world. The kingdom of God does not operate the way the world operates. So if we just look for success, we just look for Dion and his flashiness and his materialism, and we go, that's a man blessed by God. No, we're making the same mistake the Jews did when Jesus walked the earth. Uh, So we got to be cautious of that. Satan
0: will give us gifts. He gives us good things in that it appeals to the flesh, but everything he gives dies. It it dies away. Our treasure in heaven um, are the things that are unseen right now. You can't see it. The world isn't going to praise you for these things. Um, The world is going to hate the gifts that God gives you. um, It's not going to attract them. Going through trials and having your faith tested is not going to attract other people to the gospel. Um, Yeah, just... But yeah, we'd love to know
1: (laughs) what you guys think about Dion. Think about the state of American Christianity, the nothing or everything that Christianity has become in this nation. Um, But we do have a few more stories that we want to touch on just that I saw that I thought were interesting from around the, uh, the country this week, or I saw them this week, so they might be slightly older, but um, they, I thought they were worth discussing here. So um, do you want to read this headline?
0: Why everyone started talking about expositional preaching. Uh, it took Walter Carter two years to tell somebody he felt called to preach. In our Black church tradition, when you get called to that, you get the opportunity almost immediately, he said. Carter was no different. Young and charismatic, he was quickly hired as a youth leader. Before long, he picked up opportunities to preach to adults as well. About 15 years in, he took over as lead pastor of Union Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church in Chicago. Interested in shifting the congregation from board-led to elder-led, Carter began reading a book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. I thought I was teaching this book to my congregation in order to show them what they needed to do, Carter said. But the first mark, expository preaching, was something I needed to be doing.
1: So first off, um, we'll have nine marks linked down in the show notes if you want to go pick up a copy of that for yourself. Give it a read. We would recommend it. Um, sounds like a good book. Not that I've read it, but if the first point that they tell you to uh, to fix your church with is expository preaching, yeah, <laughs> we would agree. So, you know, I saw this article. It's a very long article, um, but it just stood out to me because I thought, man, this is what this nation needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, I think, at least is part of the solution to what ails this country and what ails Christianity in this country. It's expositional preaching because expositional preaching is what we see in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, Opening up, reading the words of the law, proclaiming the words of the law. Um, In that respect, expositional preaching is biblical preaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, In this article, if you want to read it again, it'll be linked down in the show notes. It goes on to sort of tell the story of two gentlemen, Dave Helms and Kent Hughes, and how they sort of built this preaching conference uh, from just sort of like a few pastors and a few workshops into something that now serves like over 6,000. So it's kind of grown. And the idea is that people are becoming hungry for expositional preaching. Um, But this is what this nation needs. We need expositional preaching and less Topical preaching, you know, which is kind of from our experience, you know, more of that, you know, again, you pick a topic, you find Bible verses to fit the topic you want to talk about. It's more emotional, right? God's here to help you overcome, get people stirred up. It's more emotional, fitting whatever topic you want, less expositional, right? And I just pulled up a definition here for what expositional preaching is. And this comes from John MacArthur um you'll find other definitions but i think that's one of kind of john macarthur's what what he's known for is this so he says the message finds its sole source in scripture the message is extracted from scripture through careful exegesis the message preparation correctly interprets scripture in its normal sense and its context. Mm-hmm. The message clearly explains the original God intended meaning of scripture. The message applies the scriptural meaning for today.
0: Yeah, the context isn't, uh, isn't you.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. So the idea of topical versus expositional is topical is, hey, I want to preach on the sin of trans identity or something. Probably a good topic to discuss in the light of today, but you just pick a topic, you go into the words, you find some scripture to support it, you wrap it in, you know, what my experience is, your personal experience, some stories, application, and that's your sermon. Whereas expositional is, all right, let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 8, and we're in verses 7 through 14. That's what we're talking about, right? It's preaching the text of scripture for its intended meaning Mm -hmm. and its intended purpose. And I would say when you couple that with sort of a verse-by-verse, book-by-book walk through the Bible, it's powerful. Mm -hmm. Because the whole point of Scripture, and I think I've heard Dr. MacArthur mention this, the point of Scripture is Scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, And its best meaning and its best application is what God had inspired.
0: Yeah, the whole point is to know God better not to try and fix your life, like making it about you and your issues. Knowing God, who He is, as He's revealed through Scripture, I mean, that's that's way more of a blessing than all the overcomer, um, defeating your Goliath type sermons. You're not going to know God better through these topical self-help sermons.
1: Right. Wow. You know, we kind of crack on Stephen Furtick here a lot with his Moses Moab month, you know, sort of analogy that he made in one of his sermons. I don't and, even
0: remember if he was going with it, but he kept you know, saying it, was, it. You know,
1: it was, you know, your difficulty going to last for a month and then God's going to overcome whatever. You know, it was, it was a sermon all about you, as yeah. they most often are. But, yeah. you know, like, so preaching on the death of Moses, probably great, but is the actual intention of that scripture for God to tell you how he's going to help you overcome your difficulty in the workplace? Probably not, right? So we don't want to just dismiss what God is actually teaching in a Mm -hmm. given section of scripture. We want to know, because if God put it there for a reason with a specific intention and purpose, well, then that's the best intention and purpose for that verse, not how can I, you know, Make this all about me, my Moses Moab month moments from Stephen Furtick. So, and I'm not sitting here saying that topical preaching has no point and it should never be used. You know, there's certainly times, right? Maybe a Christmas, uh, Easter, different things, maybe a specific instance to talk mm-hmm. about the trans identity. I'm not saying there's never a, a reason for topical right. preaching, but it should not be the standard. And in many places, it is the standard. As this young um, pastor here talks about in this article, Walter Carter. Um, and again, I don't think this is uncommon. Hey, I told someone I wanted to be a preacher, and within two years, you know, I'm, or, or he said, I think he says almost immediately he's given the pulpit an opportunity to preach. Um, that should not be the case, right? We want people to be learned in the Bible and mm-hmm. these sorts of things. So, you know, when you open the Bible, I think, and you start going book by book, verse by verse, looking for God's meaning and for God's application of a giving, given verse, I think one of the other benefits of that is there's far less room for wild errors. You're less likely to take Scripture out of context, and you're also—your congregation is more apt to make sure you're not taking it out of context. Right. Because right? if you open up Mark chapter 8, whatever it happens to be, and you start going off the rails in what you're trying to intend— they have the text right there before them. They know what you're preaching on and they can go, I don't know that that's what that's saying. You know, Moses Moab month is not necessarily seem to be what God's intending to convey here, right? So it keeps you more in line, make sure you're not getting off the rails, but it also helps your congregation make sure you're not getting off Mm -hmm. the rails. And, you know, it made me think as I was reading this, I remember the first sermon, I think we listened to at the church we now attend. And I think, the pastor preached on Romans chapter, one, or chapter 16, verse 1 through 16, which is, in a sense, just Paul giving greetings to different people in the church in Rome. He's ending his letter to the Romans, mm. and he's saying, greet this person, greet that person. Yeah. And the sermon was great.
0: And yeah. <laughs> I'm going to
1: link it in the show notes if you want to go give it a listen, because my guess, you've never heard a sermon on Romans 16, 1 through 16. Not a lot of topical application to be drawn from there, but the sermon was great. The pastor was able to draw a lot of um, really good instruction for us out of that. And there's so much of that in the Bible that if all you're looking for is stuff to satisfy a given topic, you're just going to dismiss. You're never preaching the book of Numbers, (laughs) you know, (laughs) uh, if you do that, right? But the book of Numbers is in the Bible for a reason. We need to know what it is. So. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I just think expositional preaching, so important. I'm glad that this is kind of gaining steam. We just learned about it a few years ago, and my, has our, you know, our faith has changed dramatically. Our understanding of the Bible has changed Knowing
0: God better. Yeah. The fear of the Lord. Um, gosh. It's been a blessing. It's not all about you. Like, I've been reading (laughs) through, um the first five books of the Bible and I'm in Deuteronomy now, but I have loved reading and a lot of people don't want to read past um, Exodus. They kind of skip the next three. There's a lot of good stuff in there. There's a lot, the genealogy stuff, um, the, you know, learning about all the tribes and all the generations of the tribes. It is important for um, certain times for certain things. Um, it's good that it's there, because it's historical. I mean, it's true, it's fact, it's real genealogies that are important to validate Scripture as authentic and yeah. um, reliable. That's, um, yeah, that's very important that it's there. Um, read it, but it's okay. We go back through Scripture again, you read the Bible again, and other things jump out at you. Um, Other um, God's going to have something else stand out to you um, to just pick up more more facts, grow your faith more through other things that maybe you glossed over before. Um, Don't give up reading (laughs) the Old Testament, um, the things that seem like they're not important right now, read it again. Something else is going to to jump out at you. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you and bring things uh, to your attention. So yeah, that's why we say always pray before you read.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. My daughter's advice was good (laughs) advice. And uh, just one more quote I want to uh, mention from this article here, and then we'll move on to the last article that we have. It comes from a gentleman named Dave Helm, I think who the article is kind of about. And he says talking about expositional preaching, it felt like a light bulb going on, Helm remembers. It felt like you were closer to having command of what God was actually trying to say. Yes, And that's the whole yes. intention. And that's the whole purpose of a pastor. Tell me and explain to me what God is actually saying. I don't care what you think. What is God saying? So um, do you have any final thoughts here on expositional preaching or just that notion and the importance of I was just gonna it?
0: say like how frustrating is it You can apply everything if you have kids. Like, what if you're just trying to explain something to your kids, but they're getting something selfish out of it? Like, oh, you mean this? No, the big picture here. This is why I'm teaching this to you. So you know that I love you. I'm not trying to punish you. I don't know, just the frustration. You just want the kid to understand your heart, your reasoning. So when you read scripture and you're not just getting the topical sermons that are about you, yeah, I can, I can understand. Like, don't you just so badly want your kid to know your heart? Um, why you don't give them certain things or whatever the situation is. We need to know God. We need to know his heart toward us, that it is for good, um, but that we would have a reverential fear and love and respect for him. That's why We know him as our heavenly father. Um, We're not just supposed to be given every blessing and never corrected because what kind of a father doesn't discipline his child and um, work wisdom into him and in a healthy fear? um, Yeah, we can always understand in that respect. God has um, blessed us with, with children, this understanding relationship to understand him. His reasoning, we can say, yeah, I get that. God, I'm, I want my kids to understand. So, He's given us His word, and we should, we should strive to understand His intent in all of it. So, and pray th- to have understanding.
1: Absolutely, that's the goal. So. One last story here I just wanted to mention as we close this episode out. Um, Again, we're not going to have a Bible topic, but we will get to a sermon recommendation here where we get to the end of this. But do you want to read the headline of this last story?
0: New Gospel Manuscript Discovered? What it is and why it matters.
1: And just a couple paragraphs here that I pulled from this.
0: Less than a month ago, on August 31st, 2023, the 87th volume of the, uh, how do you say that? Oxyrhynchus? Okay. I'm yeah,
1: Oxyrhynchus. I don't know how um, to pronounce it.
0: Papry, okay. was published, and therein we learn of a remarkable fragment, um, P-Oxy-5575. The first notable feature of this fragment and the feature that's generated most of the online buzz is the unique mix of content it contains. According to the original editors, it apparently contains a conglomeration of material from Matthew uh, chapter six, verses twenty-five through twenty-six, and verses twenty-eight through thirty-three, in Luke chapter twelve, verse twenty-two, verse twenty-four, and verses twenty-seven through thirty-one, laid alongside portions from the Gospel of Thomas. The second feature that makes this fragment noteworthy is its remarkably early date. The original editors placed the manuscript in the 2nd century, largely due to comparisons with the hand of P. Oxy 4009.
1: Yeah, so a new gospel manuscript, as they say, and we don't want to drag this episode on terribly much longer, but I did just want to point this out, both because, uh, I think it's a great and an interesting article and speaks about some of the apocryphal writings, mm. you know, like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Peter it talks about in here, um, but more so because it highlights how trustworthy the biblical text is. You know, again, it talks about this fragment, and it does mention in here there's some disagreement about the actual dating. Is it from the 2nd century or the 4th century? Um, but... You know, we have these textual fragments like this. Um, they call it P Oxy five five seven five or and all the other ones, um, that help us understand that the Bible we're reading today is the same Bible that they've been reading since the apostles walked the right.
0: Earth. If things were changed as people like to say, it's been passed through generations and different people keep changing it as it I don't know, that's just still a weak argument to me anyway. But As we find more, and they don't contradict, it proves it hasn't changed.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, as they say in here, this is, if it's accurate, this is among the earliest gospel finding in existence from the second century. You know, people that walked and lived with the apostles may have still been alive reading Mm. this. so that's just pretty incredible, right? It helps, I think, for me at least, bolster the faith that you have. And we've said here before, like Nikki was kind of saying, our gospel translations are not getting less accurate. In fact, they're getting more accurate because yep. we have more evidence to verify the accuracy of them on than even you know the, uh, the wonderful King James translators of their day. They didn't have all the textual fragments and early mm-hmm. um, you know, copies of it that we have today to verify on. So it's just really cool. And then back to that apocryphal writing, um, it kind of touches in here, you know, because someone's like, oh, see the gospel of Thomas and the gospel of whatever back in the second century. And, you know, this is why the Bible's fake, but they kind of make note in here that far more, than this proving that, you know, our gospel and the Bible is um, wrong or that it was put together by men. What it shows is that even from the early church, heresy was beginning to brew within the church. And so a lot of people will say, well, you know, these council of Nicaea and these creeds and stuff and all these things, this was just man picking what they wanted in the Bible, but it's not. What it was, was a blessing. It was these great godly men realizing what heresy was taking root and trying to make clarity about the nature of God, the nature of Christ, um, the inspired writings, where heresy had come in and they were rooting that out from the church, not, you know, picking and choosing what they wanted based on how they felt. I mean, because nobody. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody at a council in the third and fourth century said, you know what we need? Third John. Third John. That's the one that really hits home. No. Um, So it does touch on some of those um, extra biblical writings. And I think that that's good to understand. But just cool evidence. The Bible you're reading is trustworthy and true. As long as it's not the Passion Translation, Um, maybe some of that's good. I'd tell you to go find maybe a KJV or my new favorite, the Legacy Standard Bible is a great Bible. Um, But so just a cool article. It'll be linked. You can go give it a read. But um, yeah, God's word is trustworthy and true. So do you have any final thoughts here as we roll into our sermon recommendations and close this episode out? Nope. All right. So for our sermon recommendation I will be including, like I mentioned, our church's sermon on Romans 16, 1-16, which is a wonderful sermon on a section of scripture I would imagine you've never heard before. But in addition to that, I listened to sort of the first half of a debate that came out recently, and it's titled, Is Gay Christian a Biblically Acceptable Identity for a Member of Christ's Church? It's between Dr. James White and Dr. Gregory Coles. So obviously James White is taking the, um, it is not an acceptable stance, whereas Greg Coles is taking the, it is an acceptable stance. So very important debate in light of the, you know, Christian America we find ourselves in today as we kind of talked about, just slap Christian on anything and it becomes godly and acceptable. So this is a very important debate. And I think, you know obviously we're going to side with James White here that gay christian is not an acceptable identity for um christians but go give it a listen um i think it's really good they both bring up good points um and you know p- potentially a discussion starter for you know you and your family or whoever happens to be so those will all be linked down in the show notes um but As I mentioned, you know, we will try next Saturday to get into um, the Republican presidential debate, the second debate. We'll get back to our Bible topic. And starting in October, I'm going to do what I did last year, I think, and um, on YouTube, TikTok, and um, yeah, probably just YouTube and TikTok. I'm going to try and make it 30 days or 31 days of Reformation. You know, as me and Nikki and our family have kind of gone away from celebrating Halloween because October 31st is Reformation Day, uh, the day at least credited to Martin Luther for nailing the 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg. A far more, uh, I guess, godly reason to celebrate, uh, a better reason to celebrate than Halloween. So we'll be doing that if you want to come join us on YouTube or TikTok. Maybe even Facebook. So who knows? But until uh, next time, hope you guys have a blessed week.